You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Don't get too cocky, my boy, no matter how good you are. Don't ever let them see you coming. That's the gaff, my friend. You got to keep yourself small, innocuous. Maybe the little guy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So on this beautiful Friday, we're going to be bringing it back to some uh, listener questions. I'm going to keep it a little bit lighthearted. For example, I did an episode that was um, the NFC North 53-man roster. What I didn't say was who's the head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. Who would those folks be? Also, there's always the age-old question, should we switch from a 3-4 back to a 4-3? That will always be a question for all 32 teams every single year. However, I don't think I've ever really touched on it, maybe a little bit, so I'm going to answer that question. That, and much, much more, right here on the Packernet Podcast. By the way, bonus points to anybody that knows what movie that comes from. I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with Schmevel's Fadficate, with actor Pal Bacino. If you can decode that, you are a super genius. Anyways, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you're enjoying the show, please let people know on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you can leave a review. Otherwise, make sure you tell your family and friends, man. Get the word out there. Let the people know. They miss football just like you, but they have nowhere to turn. Millions of people every year go without the Packernet podcast. Will you help? Speaking of shaming you into doing stuff, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I'm poor and my children are starving. Please consider it. Those two things aren't necessarily related, and I cannot promise that if you donate me money, my children will get any food but I will be appreciative just the same. Otherwise, I got nothing for you. So why don't we take a break? We'll come back and we'll cover a couple different things. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. 
So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so we're going to start with Dan. Dan, the man says, was just wondering your thoughts on the Packers' base defense. If for whatever reason they took a step back this year, do you think it would be a good move to switch from a 3-4 back to a 4-3? I know they brought in guys to fit the 3-4, but in my opinion, the 4-3 is just a better scheme. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but to me, the better defenses in the NFL run a 4-3. So, in my opinion, I don't really think one is better than the other. Just off the top of my head, and I'm going to look at a few others. But the Vic Fangio defense that I've been referring to over and over the, in 2018 with Khalil Mack, et cetera, et cetera, that was a 3-4 defense. In fact, the number one defense via PFF last year was the Pittsburgh Steelers. They run a 3-4 defense with Watt coming off the edge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Denver Broncos, very good defense. They were ranked fourth, is, or excuse me, fifth was is a 3-4 defense. The Rams, I think, are sixth, 3-4 uh, defense, et cetera, et cetera. So... A lot of good 4-3 teams, a lot of good 3-4 teams. The the other issue with it, it really just, I mean, everything just comes down to fit. It's the right defensive coordinator with the right scheme, with the right players at the right time, and all these things just coming together beautifully to make a good defense. I think if we just flipped a switch and made this a 4-3 defense, and, and also some people are screaming at their um, whatever. I'm not on TV, so they're not screaming at their TVs, but whatever. They're, they're screaming at their headphones that we don't run a pure 3-4, we run a hybrid. I, I, I'm assuming Dan knows that. He did say base, which is a 3-4, technically. But there already are components of a 4-3, and that's kind of the benefit of what we're doing right now. We utilize 3-4, we utilize 4-3. And so I maybe I'm just not, I'm not coachy enough. I'm kind of out of my realm, out of my lane, talking about this kind of stuff. But essentially, moving to a 4-3 would only serve to eliminate the 3-4 components of our defense and only use the 4-3 components. I'm trying to talk right now, Mr. Alarm Clock. Sheesh. Rude. The other big issue with that is switching to a 4-3, I believe, would mean we'd have to get a new defensive coordinator. Not because Mike Pettin is, is not smart enough, but Mike Pettin kind of is a package deal. I've talked about this before, the, the notion that you know, and, and it's what I've always felt was the right thing, is that coaches are just really brilliant people that know all these different schemes and how to utilize them, and they just take the players and they, they fit it to whatever makes the most sense. That's nonsense. All these guys bring with them a very specialized skill set. They have a, I mean, as much as, Mike Pettin knows Dom Capers' scheme, the 3-4 scheme. He knows Mike Zimmer's scheme, but he doesn't know, know it. Right? He, he might have an uh, a better understanding than 99.99% of the population, but he doesn't have his PhD in Zimmer's 4-3 defense like Zimmer does. He has a PhD in Rex Ryan's defense. He is the expert. He is the subject matter expert in that sort of defense. It's, it's same with with uh, our head coach, Matt LaFleur. He understands Mike McCarthy's offense and a lot of other styles of offenses that are out there. What the the Bears are running the Andy Reid scheme. He understands at a very high level the Air Coriel system that they run in New Orleans. But I wouldn't want to hire him, nor would the Packers want to hire him to run that scheme because he's not 
the expert of experts like Mike McCarthy is on what Mike McCarthy does, like Andy Reid is on whatever it is Andy Reid does. He has a very, very, very in-depth, nuanced understanding of exactly how his particular system works, and Mike Patton is no different. And so really, if we boil this all the way down, the, the question is, if the defense regresses, do we move away from Mike Patton? And I really just don't know if I'm willing to take it there. I think we saw a lot of growth and a lot of progress and the fact that everybody's so young and the fact that, again, when we look at Vic Fangio, and I hate to keep pointing to the guy, as, but it, it really is such a, a beautiful thing that happened there. But again, the fact of the matter is, and let me just look it up to, to kind of solidify this. I've said it before, but not everybody's been listening to every episode every day. In 2015, when Vic Fangio took over, the Bears' defense was 20th in points, 14th in yards. In 2016 was his second year. They were 24th in points, 15th in yards. After two years under Vic Fangio, this was a bad defense. Far worse than what uh, Mike Pettin has accomplished with the Packers' defense in two years. I believe on both accounts. In year three, however, there was a big jump, and suddenly they became a top 10 defense in both categories. Ninth in points, 10th in yards. This is 2017. And then finally, in year four, he was they were number one in points, number three in yards, best defense in the NFL. The, 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 the reason I bring that up is, is we need to be patient. And, and you know, that, that also makes it sound like the Packers had a bad defense last year, and they really didn't. Flawed for sure. Inconsistent, definitely. But again, keep in mind this is only year three, and for half of our defense, this is technically year two. It's Zedarius and Preston and Savage and Gary and Amos. It's year one for Kirksey. Well, eh, not really, because he's worked with Petten before, but kind of year one with Kirksey. We can call it year two. Now, the, the one positive would be if for whatever reason they did decide to do this, I think it would be a potentially smoother transition than some other teams, right? When the Packers went from a 4-3 to a 3-4 all those many years ago, you had a guy like Aaron Campman, who was a great 4-3 defensive end that was just terrible as a 3-4 outside linebacker. He just couldn't make the transition. I think Zadarius and guys like Gary and possibly Preston could thrive and are maybe as good with their hand in the dirt as they are standing up. Now, there's a bunch of other nuances that are involved in that, Namely, the, the, the biggest problem that I would see is the fact that despite 3-4, meaning three down linemen and four linebackers, the fact of the matter is a 3-4 defense is really like a 5-2 defense. You've got five guys up front and two linebackers. A 4-3 is four guys up front, three linebackers. We don't even have one linebacker. I don't know how we're going to get three guys to stand there as linebackers, or even two and a, and, a, and a safety or whatever to come up. You need better linebackers, true inside linebackers to run that. So no, I wouldn't worry about it. Where guys line up and all that, it doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of what Mike Pettin knows does work. It's a matter of can he execute it with the guys he has. We know he's had success in the past. We know the guys we have are talented. It's just It, it really just comes down to getting coaches, and I think a lot of it comes down to the assistant coaches as well. I don't think we put enough on those guys. We, we've seen so many times in the past where we, there are certain position groups that just thrive no matter who comes in there, and other position groups, they just can't seem to get their act together no matter what. I've mentioned it before, the fact that we hired Mike Smith, who did wonders in Kansas City as an outside linebackers coach, comes over here to Green Bay, and suddenly everybody, well, not everybody, but Preston Smith blows the, the world away with 13 sacks. 
Zadarius is maybe the best pass rusher in the NFL that year. I mean, I, I just don't think any of this is really necessarily a coincidence. You know, prior to that, you look at defensive line with guys like Jerry Montgomery. The fact that guys would come in and they would just produce at a higher level than you would expect. On the on the opposite side, defensive backs, the Packers have had terrible luck with that. Even guys like Jair don't quite meet that level of what you would expect. Everybody talks about how that talent is there, but it's like, man, he would just have terrible stretches. Kevin King never met that potential. And we, we can blame it on drafting, but again, it seems like there are certain positions we draft that always seem to do better than expected and certain positions we draft that do worse than expected. I think we need to lean a little heavier on these assistant coaches and making sure that people understand what is needed. Mike Pettin is big picture. That's not to say he doesn't talk on a one-on-one level with these guys, but his job is big picture. I call this play, I expect everyone to know what they're doing, and, and everybody knowing what they're doing comes down to these assistant coaches. Defensive line coach, DB coach, you know, linebackers coach, outside linebacker coach. Those guys have to make sure that the guys that they're coaching know exactly what they're doing. And, and, and really a lot of that comes down to, number one, the coaches, but also just some, some people need longer to understand and constantly switching schemes and changing plans and everything, they're never going to get it in their heads. Again, a lot of the very successful defenses and things, are, are they're not always just look at all this massive talent or depending on where you stand or any of that kind of stuff. It's years and years and years of drilling this. Again, it was year four under Vic Fangio before everything clicked. I mean, even, even uh, Pittsburgh. Keith Butler is their defensive coordinator. He's been there since 2015. If we just look at where they've ranked, uh, 2015 they were 19th. 2016, 12th, 2017, they ranked 26th, 2018, they ranked 14th, and then 2019, number one. Now, this is PFF grades. It's a different metric, but again, patience. And I don't expect Pittsburgh to be number one again. Right? Chicago was number one last year. They dropped to 10th via PFF. It's, it's, it, football's kind of weird, man. It's really just one of those stars aligning kind of situations. I've talked before about the Pittsburgh, uh, who was it, Baltimore defensive coordinator, I think. I followed his path, and my assumption was Baltimore's defense would be garbage. And I, I might be getting the team wrong, but just bear with me. It's not really the important part of the story. But the guy has had no success anywhere. He worked his way up and worked his way up and worked his way up and got a job as a defensive coordinator, and the defense just completely fell apart. It was garbage. He got fired. He worked his way up again and again and again. It took him another five, six, seven years working his way up from like a linebacker coach in Baltimore to finally getting the job as a defensive coordinator. And it's like, why would you? There's nothing here that would make me think the guy's going to do a good job. And the defense was phenomenal. It's real. It's 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 fit. It's his personality, his scheme, paired up with this defense, their personality, their locker room, their talent. Their, I mean, just, just everything has to just line up perfect. I wish it was as easy as saying, you know, the guy's talented and that's all that matters. You know, we, we looked at Mike Pettin and said, well, he had a lot of success everywhere else he went. We got talent on the defense. Boom. Easy top 10, top 5 defense all day. Will it be? I have no idea. It might be a terrible defense. Why? I don't know. Why can't the Packers ever have a dominant defense? I, I just, I don't know the answer to that. We've had a couple good years, but, you know, Dom Capers, brilliant mastermind defense. He had, what, like two really good defensive years? And by really good, I mean, like, you know, decent. We never had, like, Legion of Boom level defenses in Green Bay. I mean, not in my lifetime. Maybe back in the Lombardi era, I don't know. 
It's part of the frustrating thing about football, but it's also one of the exciting things about football. Nothing about it is simple. Nothing about it is straightforward. Nothing about it really even just makes sense. So I did that episode uh, you know, a week or two ago. If the predictions for last year were as wrong this year as they were last year, this is how the season could turn out, and everything was just crazy. Because what we think going in compared to what actually happens is so vastly different. And it seems like we forget that from year to year. Oh, that team would never do that. That's ridiculous. Right. But ridiculous is what we should expect. Packers getting 13 wins was kind of ridiculous. The Packers going to the NFC Championship in their first year after not even getting to eight wins the years the year prior with a new head coach, all new defensive players, second year defensive coordinator... The, all the offensive problems are still there because we didn't do anything to address the offense. But yet, there they go, winning the NFC North, making it to the NFC Championship game. Right? Baltimore completely coming out of nowhere. Nobody expected Baltimore to be able to do what they did. Same with Tennessee. What in the world is that? Ryan Tannehill? I still probably have people that roll their eyes when I say Ryan Tannehill graded out as the number one quarterback in, uh, via PFF. To which, again, I say, I know, ridiculous. Go check him out. Derrick Henry came out of nowhere, like in, what was that, 2018? Just burst onto the scene, and now it's just a foregone conclusion. Oh, yeah, he's probably the top back in football. Or he's in the conversation, whereas before, he was never in that conversation. Where did that come from? It's funny how ridiculous things seem. And in a way, it makes sense, because most things don't change, but enough things do that we should almost expect it. So if you say that's not going to happen, you're probably right, right? Is Jay Sternberger going to be a top five tight end in the league? No, that's ridiculous. Would it shock you if he was? Well, no, because ridiculous should be expected. Both of those things somehow make sense. Because whereas most things don't change as drastically as we would hope, right? most things stay relatively the same, there's always a giant pile of things that are so vastly and wildly different that when it happens, we just kind of go, oh, that's nuts. Well, would you look at that? I mean, George Kittle as a rookie was graded out as average. He was 37th. And I'm sure nobody was upset about it. That's nice. This fifth-round guy in his rookie year, not horrible. Average, he was ranked 37th out of about 100 tight ends. Who in the world would have thought that it was reasonable to think that he could be the top tight end in football basically after this year? Right, 2018, 2019, probably 2020. Nobody. That's, that's stupid. A fifth-round pick out of Iowa who was kind of meh as a rookie, who would have thought, and, and, and if 49ers fans would have come out and said, just wait, he's going to be the top tight end in football, everybody would have laughed at them. Yet not one person looks at George Kittle and says, this is the craziest thing ever, because this kind of stuff happens all the time. It's such a weird sport. So again, part of the reason it's not really worth looking at yet is because we just got to wait and see what happens. I've, I've mentioned before, I think the defense has tons of talent. Everything is there. Again, one of the problems that I think a lot of fans have is this hyper-focused view of their own team. We're so zoomed in on the Green Bay Packers, and we don't really realize what's going on elsewhere. We look at the Green Bay Packers and we say, this defense doesn't have a chance. There's no way we can be the best defense in football. Look at our linebackers. We've only got one elite defensive tackle. There, you know, There's somewhat of a question mark at, at corner. How could we ever be a great defense? Yet I'm looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers saying, how in the world was this the number one defense? Getting Fitzpatrick definitely helped, but the linebackers aren't great. I mean, a lot of these guys, they just had really kind of breakout years this past year, but these guys are not 
elite players. You know, Joe Hayden's a big name, but he's not that great. Steven Nelson, third-round pick, cornerback. I mean, who, who even is that? Terrell Edmonds, their safety, is, is really bad. He was a first-round pick. Everyone was shocked. Why would you take this guy in the first round? He was seen as like a third, maybe fourth-round pick. They took him in the first. He's not been very good at all. Again, the point, and I don't want to labor this too much because I've made it several times, but the point is things don't have to be perfect. Make it work. And generally when things start to work, it just it, it, it spreads like a virus. Right. The, the, again, going back, if you look at just the Steelers here, you got a bunch of guys all having their best years at the same time. You look at the Bears, all those guys having the best years at the same time in 2018, because when the pass rush steps up, then the corners job gets easier. And when the corners and the safeties do a better job, the pass rush does better because they have a little bit more time to get to the quarterback. When the defensive line does their job, the linebackers have an easier job. When the linebackers are on their game and the safeties are on their game, the defensive line kind of making a mistake once in a while gets negated because they clean up. Everything is there. Nobody has any idea what's actually going to happen. This could be a terrible defense. It could be the best defense in football. No idea. And that's probably not the stance I should be taking with this podcast, because, you know, if you want to get billions of listeners, apparently the thing you do is you take a real hard stand on something that nobody could possibly ever know. Got to start doing more of those kinds of shows. Anyways, again, I've, I've talked about that before. I don't want to beat that to death. How has it only been 19 minutes? That's crazy going to be a short episode today because I'm only talking about one more thing and I got to get going. Final question of the day. Pick a head coach, an offensive coordinator, and a defensive coordinator for this all NFC North team. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check a couple episodes ago. Four, five, six, ten, I don't know. I built a 53-man roster using NFC North players. So for head coach, it's fairly obvious um, it only comes down to two. Mike Zimmer and Matt LaFleur. Now, I think most people, if you took a survey, would probably say Mike Zimmer. All the accomplishments, all those years, great defenses, all that stuff. Here's the issue. Matt Patricia, we'll just go through it because whatever, is losing his team. They don't want to be there. They don't want to play there. There's a lot of teams that aren't great that still believe in the team and are okay being there. They hate working for, playing for Matt Patricia. They want out. Matt Nagy seemed to have a pretty good first year. The problem is he's an offensive guy, and the thing holding back this team is the offense. Beyond that, as I talked about yesterday, it seems like there's maybe some internal ter- ter- internal turmoil with the players. You had Long, who was their longtime right guard, who was recently retired, saying he's not coming back, wouldn't come back, unless and until the Bears got some new personnel in there. Now, I don't know if he's, he probably won't come back either way, but he, he made it very clear that he's not happy with the people currently in charge. So he also, Matt Nagy I'm talking about, has not done a good job of inspiring confidence in the team. Okay, well, what about Mike Zimmer? Obviously, he doesn't have a problem with the players. Maybe. First of all, if you had to pick between an offensive-minded or defensive-minded head coach, I want to go offense. And as much as, as Matt LaFleur hasn't proven much, Mike Zimmer has also had some turmoil on his team. He had a guy force his way off the team to go to Buffalo. I think part of the problem with the team is the fact that he is very heavy-handed in the personnel decisions, wanting his guys back. They're overpaying for guys, especially his core defensive players. And again, there was the rumor that the Vikings really kind of want to push him out, which surprised me. But but also, again, his record isn't as good as as what people seem to think that it is. So yeah, I'm going to go with the guy that came in and repaired a broken locker room. The guys want to fight for Matt LaFleur. They appreciate and want to be with Matt LaFleur. And again, Green Bay, Wisconsin is not the most 
Um, if you have a lot of money and you wanted to spend it and enjoy your life, Green Bay, Wisconsin probably isn't top of your list. But so far, anyways, people seem to want to be there. On top of that, the, the things that seem to be winning, one of the more successful things in the NFL right now is the Kyle Shanahan style of offense, and Matt LaFleur has that. He's very young, he's extremely intelligent, he has the keys to the offensive system that is very successful. It's obviously not the only one, but he can make it work. And so I'm going to roll the dice with Matt LaFleur. Mike Zimmer is not a terrible option, but I don't know that he is necessarily a man of the people. I don't trust him to care for the locker room, which which, admittedly, I, I wish I didn't even have to care about that. I don't care about how you feel about things. I want you to shut your mouth and play football. And if I yell at you, it's because you're bad at something and you need to do better and not cry about that. Go to the ATM, pull out $200 and wipe your tears and then get back to work, please. But it is a thing. And we saw how terrible the Green Bay Packers were when the locker room was in disarray. And we saw how massively things turned around and how beneficial it is to have the players wanting to be around each other as well as around their coach. So I will be taking Matt LaFleur as my head coach. Now, as, as an offensive coordinator, this one's relatively simple. Now, you could say Nathaniel Hackett because he's already working with um, Matt LaFleur, so that would make sense. But I, I, I don't really care for Nathaniel. I, I shouldn't say that. I'm not sure too many people feel that Nathaniel Hackett is kind of what this team hinges on, right? The success or failure of this team is on Nathaniel Hackett. I and mean, we just spent a lot of time talking about our defensive coordinator because we understand the importance of that. I don't, I don't really see where Nathaniel Hackett comes into play as being a central piece. So it's not Nathaniel Hackett. Bill Lazor, who is the new uh, offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, has been bounced around back and forth over. He, he's similar to Hackett in that he has an offensive system that he understands, and it is one that was very popular maybe like five, six years ago, that is somewhat antiquated. He's very intelligent, which is why everybody likes him, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking anywhere he goes, so I don't really want him. He's sort of a, as young as he is, he's kind of a dinosaur. I mean, he, again, he was a hot name five or six years ago, but that stuff, and, and especially because it's just not what Matt LaFleur is looking to do. Then you've got Daryl Bevel, who is a guy with the currently with the Detroit Lions that has been bounced around all over the place. There's some reason to believe that that would work, but let's just cut to the chase. I want Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak is a very successful, very intelligent former head coach who is well known for his penchant for the outside zone kind of an offense. To have a Gary Kubiak underneath a Matt LaFleur to be completely honest, I don't think it would be ridiculous to have Gary Kubiak as your head coach with Matt LaFleur as your offensive coordinator, but we're not doing it that way. Either way, this is a great pairing. Very similar system. Again, with Matt LaFleur being very young, he talked about how much he liked to lean on Mike Pettin because of his head coaching experience. Having a guy like Gary Kubiak would just be like a dream. I can't imagine somebody that is an offense. I, I can't picture that there's a better offensive coordinator that Matt LaFleur would love to have as his offensive coordinator than Gary Kubiak. Then finally, defensive coordinator is tough. I mean, if I could just do anything I want, Mike Zimmer would be my defensive coordinator. But that's, again, I'm trying to pick a defensive coordinator to be my defensive coordinator. Um, The Vikings would make the most sense. Vikings and Bears, because these are the two best defenses. However, the Vikings have a brand new defensive coordinator. And the Bears also, as of last year, had a new defensive coordinator that did not build the current defense that they have. So he doesn't necessarily deserve the credit for that defense. He got plopped in the middle of a great defense that went backwards after he took over. Still, Chuck Pagano is a talented defensive coordinator, and he should be considered. 
Lions also have a new defensive coordinator, so you almost immediately have to rule out the Vikings and the Lions. I mean, you don't have to, but I'm not going to take either of them because that's silly. And it comes down to, do you want Pettin or Pagano? And they're very similar. Both guys that have had a lot of success formally in their careers trying to make their new positions work. And the bottom line is, when I look at the Packers and what they did compared to what they were, I see a team that is getting much better. And as much as maybe the Bears are going to get better, and it, it's sort of unfair because there's no, there's no way to go up from where the Bears were in 2018, but still. Pagano took over, the Bears got worse. Pettin took over, the defense is getting significantly better. So I'm going to go with Mike Pettin. If I wanted to be a little less biased or try to prove that I'm unbiased, I would have said Pagano. But again, what, 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 why? Well, the Bears' defense is better. Right, because of the players that were put in place prior to him getting there. Because of the work that Vic Fangio did prior to him getting there. What did Pagano do? I could have been the defensive coordinator and it would have been a top 10 defense. Just give me some Madden controls. I'll just call different plays out. Uh, I like the one with the three blue circles. And then I don't really like those yellow circles in the flat there. Yeah, let's just do man with the three blues. And let's do a little blue in the middle there. You guys hear that? The three three blues up top, the one blue in the middle, and then and then uh, man, the the red lines. Do that play. Okay, go. And again, if it's based on former success, Mike Pettin has been a phenomenal defensive coordinator. Everything he's touched has turned to gold, and the only time that hasn't happened so far is with the Green Bay Packers, but we'll see what happens in year three. So, anyways, that's it. I'm out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastical Friday. I will talk to you probably Monday. Have a great Father's Day. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.